0: Welcome to Behave, the behavioural science podcast where we discuss, explore and aim to showcase the practical benefits of laying behavioural insights to deliver more effective marketing results and business growth. Hosted by Pedro Martins, a director at Total Media, the behavioural planning agency. Remember to rate us on wherever you listen to podcasts and for any questions, feedback or requests for future topics, please email us at podcast at behave.co.uk. For more information on anything discussed in the episode and useful downloads, please visit behave.co.uk forward slash podcast. Welcome to Behave, the podcast that aims to showcase practical business benefits through the application of behavioural science to your marketing. And in this episode, we're going to be exploring the importance of price and promotions and that it goes way beyond just numbers, but the importance of stories surrounding them. Richard, uh, tell us a bit more about this bias.
1: A lot of the biases we've looked at in other episodes have been... Uh, kind of single biases with a distinct set of experiments around them, and this episode's slightly different in that we're looking at a topic, but a topic that should be of interest to lots of clients because all around pricing and promotion, and in particular the idea that consumers and shoppers aren't desiccated rational calculating machines uh, that weigh up the whether a product is good value or, or bad value, in a, in a fully considered objective manner. But instead, the, the way you present that price can make it more or less appealing. So one basic study to start with, one that I really like, is by two University of Florida psychologists. So I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. <laughs> so uh, uh, I think it's and you, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, but in their study, they get a range of different items. So, block of cheese, plasma TV, uh, bike. And for each of these items, they ask participants how much they think they're worth. Now, the twist is that sometimes the participants are told a round listing price. And when they use the word round, they mean $10, $100, $200. Sometimes they're given a precise price. So, maybe $11 or $10.36 and they then ask all the participants you know how what do you think the genuine value of this item is and the key finding is that uh, everyone thinks the price has been marked up but when it's a round price they think the uh, the asking price is much more inflated and what Yanishevsky and his thinks happening here is people are mentally discounting the asking price uh, and getting down what they think the real value is. But when they've been given a round price, they jump down in really big increments. So they think, oh, okay, it's not worth $100, maybe it's 90 maybe it's $80. Whereas when they see an asking price of $103, they still do that process of jumping down, but it's in much smaller increments. So people might think to themselves, okay, it's not worth $103, maybe it's worth 97 okay, 94 So by using precise prices, brands and products can make uh, themselves appear better value. Now the lovely thing about this, this study is they didn't just do it in a laboratory. They also looked at real world data. So they look at house price sales in Alachua County, Florida, and they find that people who list their house at a precise price, say $501,000, those people are much more likely to get the asking price than other sellers who list their house at a round price, say, $500,000. So it works in the laboratory, which can give us some confidence, but the fact it works in the real world as well uh, is a much better indication of the power of that particular bias. So the, the old theory of
0: um something 3 pounds rather than £4 as a... As a uh, stays true. So, so
1: that's what a psychologist would call a, a, a charm price. right? So there's almost... Actually, there's three different types of price. You've got round, so £10 precise, 11 or 11.36, and then charm, which would be 10.99. Now, there's a lot of evidence that people think charm prices are much better value than the closest round number. So people rate and are much more likely to buy a product that's 10.99 than 11 pounds. And part of the reason, there's different hypotheses. Some people think it's what's called the left-hand digit effect, and that's the idea that when you see prices when you're out shopping, you don't remember the exact number. You don't remember 10.99. You just remember 10 something. So, you know, almost you're getting that 99 cents extra price for free. Um, the second theory is people have seen 99 pence or uh, larger prices of 199 pounds. They've seen them so often in a discount or a sale setting there's almost a kind of wedding of a kind of a Pavlovian wedding of the two things that when people see a pricing in nine they assume it must be a sale. Now what's interesting about that area is that even though as you say it's it's a kind of long-standing insight and very few people would dispute the improvement of value perceptions by having a charm price supermarkets in the UK have actually uh, reduced or certain supermarkets, people like Sainsbury's, have radically reduced their use of charm pricing because there's a bit of a myth that charm prices um, convey a kind of, uh, an aura of poor quality. But the experiments I've done have shown that charm pricing has minimal negative effect on quality, but it does have a very positive effect on value perceptions.
0: So, that, I mean, that's, that's really interesting in terms of understanding that sort of the price points that brands should set out and why. And just, um, just, I'll come back to you in a <laughs> second. Um, in terms of setting pricing, is there a way or an approach that brands take to test, or is it just
1: purely test and, and learn in terms of methodology Do they apply? This S- sort of- so, one of the main topics, um, I think we'll pick this up in uh, more detail on, a, on another occasion, is this idea of the danger of claim data. That if you go out and ask someone, you know, would you buy a a CD because it's ten ninety nine pounds uh, versus £11, people say, oh, well, that penny would make absolutely no difference. Mm. So asking people directly can be misleading in this particular situation. As you say, much better to set up a simple either field experiment or using a, a kind of basic research technique like monadic testing to uncover how people actually behave rather than how they claim they behave. What is that? So monadic testing is, is a very simple way of um, changing your um, survey approach. So let's say you've recruited a thousand people and you were interested in finding out whether or not charm pricing made a product better appear better value, what you would do is create a fictitious product. So say something like Ayatana Perfume, this is one I've invented in the past with, with other colleagues. You would show them a picture of Ayatana Perfume and then you would give them some details about it and then you would say it costs ten dollars ninety nine. The next group would see the same picture, the same details, but they would be told it costs 11. And then you would ask all those groups about how good value they thought the product was, how likely they were to purchase it. And what you tend to see is when you do that approach, that monadic approach where you put people into different cells, you see some of these small, small tweaks having a much
2: bigger effect than if you directly ask people. Great. And Will, have you got anything to add? Yeah, I mean, there's... It's an incredibly interesting area of price and promotions. On the testing side, I think we've talked before, you can do real tests with price, particularly for digital uh, brands that are sold over the internet. Uh, one interesting area is often with subscription services, the period of time for which they should frame the subscription. Uh, a lot use monthly, some round up to a year, but it's often worth testing whether giving people weekly subscription cost is actually going to be more effective because we can't work out as quickly how much that adds up to and are more likely to go for it. You often see charities talk about uh, price in terms of just for this much per day or this much per week uh, is a really good way of framing it so that it doesn't sound as much money. Um, For me, I think one of the interesting things with price is some of the experiments show just how poorer conception of the price of things we have so uh, we've talked before about cookies in a jar and when there are fewer cookies in the jar people value them far more highly even though cookies are a very uh, common good that you think people would have a very set value for and there's one study uh, along those lines by Dan Arley I think was really interesting where it was asking people uh, how much they would pay for different goods uh, it was often nice wine, chocolate, kind of collection of goods like this. But before asking them, uh, he would ask them the last two digits of their social security number. Um, and that was a number that isn't related to who they are at all. It's just a random number, those final two digits. And what he found was that the people whose last two digits ended between 1 and 20, if you ask them that, and then ask them how much they'd pay for the good, they would offer on average $16 for it. Whereas if you ask people whose social security number ended between 80 and 99, and then ask them how much they would pay for the good, they would say $56. And often what happens is people don't have an initial value in their head. And if you can put a different initial value into their mind before then asking them what they'll pay, they will either start from there and increase it, or start from there and decrease it, and they get a sense of, oh my God, I'm much higher in my head than where I started, this must be the right price, or I've already cut a lot from where I started, this must be the right price. And it shows something as random as that, an unusual number that you're asked for that isn't related to the purchase decision, can change how much we're offering to pay for things, and it shows just how much we can be influenced in our perception of what something is worth and arguably that bias
1: is at the heart of what is uh, is perhaps the greatest ever uh, advertising line and that's the line from de Beers that you should pay a, a month's salary for your diamond <laughs> ring and it's it is anchoring just like the aria experiment you throw out that number of a month's salary four weeks salary you know people don't quite, well, when she first wrote i think in 1947 when she wrote that people didn't suddenly start spending four weeks of their salary on their ring but they took that number as the anchor and they adjusted down, but not far enough. They started spending two or three weeks of their salary on their diamond ring. And De Beers have made literally hundreds of millions of pounds from that simple use of a, a, a well-known bias. And obviously didn't stop at a month. They then went out and said two months right,
2: in the yeah. 1980s. They went out in Japan and said three months of your salary. I think diamond's a really <laughs> interesting area as well of showing how you can change the value of something by how you frame it. So what you're not paying for is the value of the composite diamond, how much it is worth itself. You're paying for how much do you value Mm. your fiance, And at that point, (laughs) you're suddenly worth months of salary because you value her a lot. And there's lots of examples of that where you don't pay um, to go see uh, a band that you like. Uh, You go to have an incredible social experience with people. And when you can frame the action or the... Uh, product or the service into a different category or a different area, you can actually totally shift the amount people are prepared to pay for it.
0: So it's much more than just looking at the numbers or the price value. It's actually the story and the framing around it that helps give it some actual value.
2: Yeah, and, and one really interesting example of this is uh, that lots of brands use. is It's much easier to get people to put add-ons to something that's really expensive in the first place. Uh, there was one really great study where people... Uh, were asked if they would walk, I think it was an extra mile, to get a £5 saving on a car, and they nearly always said no. And then I think they were asked if they would walk walk an extra mile to get a £5 saving on a £50 coat, and they often said yes. Now, the actual amount that you save is the same, but when you look at it as a percentage of the overall you're paying, it doesn't look that much. And so lots of brands use this. If you buy a couch, you're much more prepared to pay over the odds for add-ons like things to clean the couch, then you would be in other contexts because it looks like such a small amount of the overall amount that you're spending Uh, and that's a really interesting way to get people to add on to uh, what they're buying, often at a higher cost than they normally would.
1: And Rich, you have an interesting example of this sort of framing for a car dealer? Yeah, the story there I think is from Bus and Semester. so they ran an experiment in the US during the a kind of of financially turbulent period at the beginning of the 2000s. And on some occasions, the car dealers were offering 10% off and they saw small in sales. Then when they ran the the same financial discount, but with a little story around it, 10% off the same as our staff get, they then got a much bigger uplift in sales. And what Boos and Semester argued was that it's not just the absolute financial discount that's important because it's very hard for shoppers really to know whether something is good or bad value what people instead do is replace this tough complex calculation with a much simpler one and the much simpler question to ask themselves is well okay a company might rip off customers but they sure as hell aren't going to rip off their own staff so suddenly that 10% off the same as our staff get has a credibility and a believability that the, you know, the bald literal promotion didn't have. So it's, it's a, you know, as an industry we spend an awful lot of time talking about storytelling, but we all, you know, it's become a cliche almost, uh, but it's always in reference to brand advertising. That same idea of the power of a story should be applied to promotion and pricing as well. So Rich, um, Can you give me an
0: example of any sort of related biases in this space? Because there's quite a few different ways of looking at that. I mean, we've talked about two, sort of storytelling
1: and then... Yeah, um, another one that's got a large practical application is this idea of people being more motivated by uncertain rewards than certain rewards. Now, the heritage of that goes all the way back to experiments with pigeons and rats uh, back 50, 60 years ago. But there was a lovely recent study by, I think, Shen and Fishback, which showed that this same idea can uh, influence people. So what they did was they got participants together, they gave them a big jug of water and a straw and said, if you can drink all this water in two minutes, we will pay you $2. And I can't remember the exact numbers, but, but say about 40% of people, roughly, uh, succeeded in the task. The next group of participants... They give them the same jug of water, the same two-minute challenge, but this time they say, if you drink it all in the allotted time, uh, we will then flick a coin and you either win $1 if it's heads, $2 if it's tails. Now, an economist, a standard classical economist, would say, well, the expected utility of that is only $1.50, so it's going to be a less motivating prize. But that is not what happens actually, people are more likely to complete the task. About 60% of people complete the task. Now, what the psychologists argue is that part of the motivation um, to achieve the task is financial, but part of it is around the excitement of that, that gamble at the end. Now, that's a very specific promotion, and it might not feel like there's immediate implications But if you think about most loyalty cards, for example, people like uh, Tesco Club card or um, Cafe Nero's reward card, most of them are a very transactional, you know, you spend a pound at Tesco and we will give you 1% off. Now what Shannon Fishback would argue is that is a certain reward. If you want to make it appealing, you should flip on its head and give it a degree of uncertainty. So why not, if you're a retailer, rather than giving 100% of your clientele 1% off, why not give 1% of your clientele 100% off? They get the, you know their whole basket for free. And if they were to do that, the experimental evidence would suggest that it would be a more motivating reason to purchase. Well, one of the related biases is the power of because. Yes, uh, I think that was an Ellen Langer study, Um and she goes up to people in a, a queue for a photocopier, and asks, "A long queue waiting at a university photocopier machine, and asks people if she can push in." And a small percentage of people say yes. And then the next time she goes back, she to a different group of people queue up the photocopier. She says, "Can I push in? Because or can I cut in? Because I want to make some photocopies." And in that scenario the number of people who, who let her cut in jumped significantly. Now, what's interesting is you could argue her reason is completely nonsensical. Well, you know, if you ask asked to cut into a queue for a photocopy, of course you want to make copies. But what she argued is just using that word because uh, has a power in and of itself, even if the later request is completely ridiculous. Because people normally associate... A because with a sensible reason. So it can have an impact unrelated to the actual quality of the argument. So the implication from from her study would be you know, never go out and ask people just to change their behaviour. Ideally, you should give them a very motivating, attractive, appealing reason for changing the behaviour. But if you haven't got that, just say anything but a, a dress it up with uh, a, a because
2: and it should increase the, the effectiveness. I think one interesting area that is kind of linked to that is the value of something that someone receives so I can't remember the numbers but there's a an interesting study of when people uh who were locked out of their own home and someone would come round and help them in and someone who turned up and didn't break the lock but automatically got them in within 15 seconds and said there you are and then tried to charge them a hundred dollars the person would go what do you mean it took you 10 seconds (laughs) I'm not paying you at all Whereas the guy who came round and spent an hour unable to do it, fiddling around, then just smashed your lock in and let you in and went, that's £100. People go, fair enough, it took you an hour, you've you've obviously put a lot of effort in. Um, And the weird thing is they've paid more for a much worse service. (laughs) Um, And I think that's interesting that we don't always pay for the quality or the value of what we're receiving. We have a sense of fairness about how much is this worth, how much effort went into it. I think that's interesting for a lot of brands because they can communicate the effort and time that has gone into creating their product or service. And when people hear that, they feel more okay about paying more for it because it gives them a sense of fairness that, well, okay, it costs more, but they had to do all of this effort Mm -hmm. to create it. And so that strikes me as fair. I, I don't know if this went to their thinking, but you could imagine Triple Filtered by Smirnoff mm. has that sense of awe. Oh, or oh, Aged Aces in a Barrel by uh, Jack Daniels gives a sense of time and effort that makes you feel spending more is acceptable mm. and fair, uh, even if it's not necessarily reflective of the quality of the product.
0: Because we're coming up on time, just wanted to know, are there any more examples that you've got in terms of clients that you've seen that do this well or could do it better? And what are the positive what are the positive and easy wins for our listeners that can, they can take away and start applying today, tomorrow? Well,
1: the brilliant thing here from, for behavioural science is if, as most businesses, you're believing in classical economics, you haven't got many levers to increase demand. You know, the thing you should do is decrease price and more people should become interested in your brand. Behavioural science sets up lots of other tactics, you know, with its extremist aversion, precise pricing, uh, scarcity. It sets up all these other tactics where firstly you don't have to give away as much margin um, and therefore you should at least test those first before you move on to the value-destroying price reductions that most uh, brands turn to far
2: too quickly.
0: Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Will, Good you to add?
2: I think one thing just touching on the price promotions is that If you do end up thinking that price promotions or finding that price promotions is the right way to go, there are some really interesting things you can do to make it more effective. When they ran 10% off Campbell's Soup, people bought the promotion and on average bought three cans. When he said there's a promotion 10% off Campbell's Soup limited to 12 per person, people bought seven cans of the soup. An interesting example as well is with... uh, a paper called The Procrastination of Enjoyable Experiences, uh, which is about the fact that when you offer people a gift certificate, if you say to them it can be used within two months, uh, in this paper they found that uh, around 6% of people redeemed it. If you said to them that it has to be redeemed within three weeks then uh, actually 31% of people redeemed it. Having a shorter expiration date Mm -hmm. is really important for making people have a sense of urgency, feeling that they should. So it's really interesting and counterintuitive that you might go, we'll give out these vouchers and we'll give people a lot of time to use it. Actually, that will reduce the likelihood that it's used. You want to give it out and go, you've got to use it soon. And that creates the urgency and actually makes people use it. Uh, probably slight
0: tangent but is that similar to what's happening or has been happening in the travel industry limited time 25 people looking at this offer there's only 5 left
1: I mean that's a fascinating one because that has caused some uh, consternation I think the reason people got upset with it because the branding question may have been playing a bit fast and loose with the truth and I think there are Mm -hmm. of course there are reasons why you you've got to be very careful about always being honest with these biases you can't just make them up you've got to be uh, honest, because otherwise there's long-term reputational damage. But with those comparison sites, those flight comparison sites, I think there is a a second watch-out, which is, again, about measurement. So what some of those hotel and flight comparison sites do will say things like, you know, five people looking at this right now, only three hotels left. And I'm sure that will be effective if you just look at the immediate conversion and sales rates. But in the long term, by creating that very stressful uh, experience of shopping on a particular site, the danger is that you will damage your brand equity and people are less likely to come back. Now, it might be that those brands in, questions, brands in question are very carefully weighing up those two demands and, um, you know, running enough biases to 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 generate short-term revenue. But my worry would be that it's a measurement problem, that they're probably only measuring the short-term impact and seeing this layering of bias after bias as a very successful thing, and they're not measuring the longer-term brand damaging effects. So if you are going to apply biases to that extreme and in that volume, you've got to be measuring both short-term effects and long-term effects. So beyond
0: actual pricing, i.e. rounding or all the 99Ps, there's much more that can impact price perception and therefore sales. When setting price or promotions, think about the story and the framing of the price and what that price represents. And you might think about pairing it with other biases like the scarcity bias around limited offers, which can help drive that purchase and that consideration. There are often minor changes on how price or promotion are communicated, but these can have a massive impact. Richard Jotten, William and Lloyd, thank you very much. That's the end of our eight weeks. It's been a fascinating journey, especially for me, and I'm sure for our listeners. Hope to have you back here again in the studio soon. This podcast is brought to you by Total Media, the behavioural planning agency, an innovative approach to behavioural insights to deliver more effective marketing results and business growth.